Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for One thing about me is a little hobby I have is I like to take care of fish tanks. I'm an aquarist, they call it. (laughs) Now, over time, impurities will build up in the fish tank water. Even if you have a good filter on it, you have to change the water out every now and then. Maybe I've heard it said once a month, every three months, you have to take out about a third of the water and refill it with fresh, clean water. And if not, eventually the water is going to get foul with impurities. A lot of them are liquid impurities that you can't see it'll start killing off the fish because it just gets bad over time. Well, Israel had been involved in Baal worship, the false god worship, for so long. The culture had gotten so much spiritual impurities in it. They had gotten so foul and so sick that God had sent Elisha in and Elijah before him to change the culture out, to clean it up a little bit, to get them to repent. Slowly, people were starting to repent. It's kind of like the changing of that water. It has it's got to purify. And so let's see what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. All right, let's remember in the previous chapter, this king Ben-Hadad here, he had sent a raiding force to go kill Elisha off. And it appears that uh, Ben-Hadad was insulted by what Elisha did with his army. Remember, Elisha called blindness down on them and then led them to the king of Israel, where they gave him a feast and sent him back home again. And so I think Ben-Hadad took it as an insult. Well, you, you fed my army and sent them back. He was a little upset with that. He took it as a mockery of some kind. But so now this time here, it says that Ben-Hadad sent out all of his army, not just a small raiding party like he did in chapter 5. Ben-Hadad is insulted now. He's going to go get him. Second Kings 6, verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Okay, well, who wants to eat that? That's all they had. Now, Ben-Hadad, he liked to kick people while they were down. He was hitting these people in Israel during a famine, causing extreme maximum suffering. And so all of these seemingly worthless items here, that the donkeys had and dove droppings, they, they were suddenly so valuable as the famine was so severe that people were willing to eat just about anything they could get their hands on. Second Kings 6.26 Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? 
And she said, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now, I've said this message to people in in a public setting before, and the look on their faces was just, they they couldn't believe it, that they're killing their own children. Now, we have to remember the fact that King Joram, though, here in this setting, he hated the Lord. The king of Israel hated the Lord. He had been worshiping the false god Baal, and as well as many generations of kings before him. And so when a leader follows a false god and worships a false god, then the people will do it too. So what you have here with people killing their children off like this, what we have is the culmination of years upon years of deliberate, blatant disobedience and hatred of God. And this has now resulted in God's blessings to be cut off from them. There's a famine that was so bad that the people, by this time, they were so driven nuts by it, their sin made them so drunk stupid that they have now resorted to cannibalism. Now, I I just want to point out that at any time, King Joram could have, he could have repented. He could have gotten right with the Lord, especially when the Lord had already shown him a lot of favor already, right? The Lord was trying to get him to turn, and he just would not. He hated the Lord God. Second Kings 6 and 30. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. So the king wore sackcloth. It's a very uncomfortable, scratchy cloth. I kind of think of a potato sack. It's You wouldn't want to wear this. And they wore this to express outwardly what their inner distress was like. And that's why they wore sackcloth. But instead of being a real king and deal with the problem of sin, Joram chose to blame God. He's just going to blame God. You see that in our culture today. People want what they want. When things don't turn out, what do they do? They blame God for it. So he thinks that killing Elisha is the answer. This kind of reminds me when I show people what God's word says about a situation they're going through, and when they don't like it, they get mad at me for it, (laughs) okay? So King Joram, he doesn't like what's going on, but the first thing he wants to do is curse God for what's wrong. So King Joram, this God-hating Baal worshiper, wants to murder God's prophet Elisha. So Joram put a death warrant on Elisha, regardless of all the good things that the Lord God had done for him. 2 Kings 6 and 32. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. Okay, the Lord often told Elisha what was coming ahead of time before it happened, which means the power of God was with him. So look at the setting here. It says that Elisha was sitting with the elders, with elders. Okay, who are these guys? These were the leading officials of Israel. Apparently, the government under King Joram 
called an emergency meeting to get together with Elisha to consult with the Lord to ask him what to do about saving the nation of Israel from King Joram's reckless leadership. You got a government of people, they're, they're desperate. What, let's go let's go to Elisha, see what to do about it. And so this was this meeting here that the king showed up to take Elisha's head. <laughs> what is that what is that going to look like to the elders? This is only going to further demonstrate publicly how messed up in the head that sin had made King Joram. So Elisha told these elders, when he gets here, and he's coming, okay, when he gets here, I want you to bar the door, hold it. He didn't tell them to get ready to fight. That's something I want you to notice here. He didn't say, pick up sticks and rocks and let's get ready to go beat them up. Rather, Elisha said, we're going to wait on the Lord God to save us. We're going to see what the Lord does about it. Second Kings 6 and 33. And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now, it's interesting in this situation how we see two very different men. You have Elisha, who was waiting on the Lord to act, but then you've got King Joram, who refused to wait on the Lord any longer. Okay, one's waiting, one's not. Friends, you need to pay attention to this story because you're going to see how it works out for these two different guys, depending on if you're willing to wait on the Lord or you lose all your patience, right? Those that don't trust the Lord, those are the ones who are always going to try to take matters into their own hands, like King Joram is trying to come kill Elisha. But to those who do trust in the Lord, they will always wait upon God. Now, this was a tremendous opportunity for Elisha to teach these elders of Israel what godly faith looks like when it's put in action. You let the Lord deal with things. Let the Lord deal with your problems before you have some kind of knee-jerk reaction into taking matters into your own hands. That's what Elisha gets to demonstrate to the elders of Israel here. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Okay, Elisha just announced a prophecy here, and the prophecy was that just within just just 24 hours, flour and barley would suddenly be sold at a really good price. Now, do y'all remember from chapter 6, we just crossed into 7, but remember in chapter 6 what it says they were eating, okay? Can you imagine? Yeah, I'll I'll have the donkey head meal, and uh, you want uh, dove droppings with that? It's only five shekels more. (laughs) Nobody wants to eat that kind of garbage, okay? But that's what they had to eat. So with this severe famine, that's all they had. So look at how Elisha prophesied that within just one day, within just 24 hours, there would be good food like flour and barley would suddenly be sold cheap. I mean, guys, what if I told you that by tomorrow, gasoline would drop down to 50 cents a gallon? You'd say that's absolutely impossible, right? You you wouldn't believe it. Kind of like what this officer said. Oh, how could this be? I'll bet that this prophecy absolutely stunned the elders that he told it to. 
but it would also make them really look forward to how in the world would the Lord make all this happen? (laughs) But this officer of the king, he found this to be completely unbelievable. And so what did he do? He mocked the very idea of it. And so Elisha told him, he said, you will see it. All this food that he said that was going to be sold, he says, you're going to be able to see it, but you will not get to eat any of it. You'll see it, but you're not going to get to have it. Elisha predicted that this man's unbelief would cause him to miss the blessing. Second Kings 7 verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. So where were these lepers? Where were they at? It says they were at the gate where Elisha prophesied the food would sell. Okay, they're at the gate. Why were they outside of the city at the gate? Lepers were not allowed to live within the city because they were contagious. People didn't want to catch leprosy from them, so they had to live outside. It was a very secluded, very lonely, rejected life. And since they were about to die anyway, they considered their options, and they concluded their best chance at survival was to surrender to Ben-Hadad's army. Hey, if we go into town, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go to Ben-Hadad's army, they might kill us. We'll just die anyway. But maybe they'll give us something to eat. Let's go for it, okay? So they figured it was better if Ben-Hadad's army kills us. It was just better to get it over with than to waste away slowly of starvation. 2 Kings 7, verse 5. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. Okay, so friends, the Lord here, he acted for Israel's defense, causing Ben-Hadad's army to hear the sound of a huge army that was coming down against them. Now, this could have been the same angelic fiery horses and chariots that we read about when Elisha showed his servant back in chapter 6. I don't know. But the Syrians heard it, whatever it was. They heard it, and they took off running for their lives. And they left so fast that they abandoned all the equipment and all the supplies that they had brought with them. Guys, this is the perfect opportunity for these lepers to fill up on food and plunder as much from this camp as they could. This was the Lord fighting for his people Israel by sending the sound of his great army against the enemy of Israel, and they ran so fast. This is awesome. 
2 Kings 7 and 9. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. Now this was a smart move on the lepers' part here. They figured that somebody was eventually going to find this abandoned camp anyway. And if they did, then they would be punished as criminals for not telling about it to the rest of everybody else, because you had a whole starving population going on. They're going to be held liable as criminals for not sharing this information. So they felt really convicted for not telling other people who are suffering that there's a lot of food and stuff here that we could all be partaking of. So they decided to go and tell others about it. That was a good move. Second Kings 7 and 12. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. Okay, King Joram doesn't trust this. He thinks it's a trap. He suspected here that since Ben-Hadad's army knew they were starving, and since that army had been unable to break into their territory, that they would set up an abandoned camp. Let's set up a camp. Let's fill it full of good food. That's what they want. Let's draw them out. And when they come out to plunder it, that's going to leave them open and vulnerable to an easy attack. That's when we'll get them. So King Joram, he thinks this is a trap designed to get them to come out. But guys, you got to remember, King Joram was about half nuts. He was tripping on sin. His logic was flawed. He was unable to see that this was part of the Lord's prophesied warning that Elisha said was going to happen that was supposed to happen within 24 hours so that everybody could eat. He was a God hater. He couldn't see God's blessing right in front of his face. Second Kings 7.13. And one of his servants answered and said, Please, let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. Okay, so at this point, Elisha's prophecy was starting to take shape. All the elements that were supposed to bring it to pass, there's going to have good food. It's going to be sold for cheap prices within 24 hours. All these elements were now in place. So you got to consider the question people had when they heard Elisha's prophecy, which would be this. During this famine, how in the world could food sell for so cheap just within 24 hours? If this abundance of the enemy's food in their tents and all their supplies If it was suddenly taken by Israelites, then that means this prophecy could come true because that's how the Lord was bringing it in. But the only thing that was holding it all back was King Joram's hesitation. He didn't want to let anybody move in on this camp. So what you have here is if nobody moved in on this opportunity, if nobody went out to check on this camp, then Elisha's prophecy would not come true. And so I believe 
that the Lord put advice into one of the king's servants to persuade the king into taking an action. Let's go, at least let us go look. Give us some horses. Let us go at least check it out because that would catapult them straight into this prophecy becoming true. This prophecy would now be fulfilled. Friends, the Lord is not about to let one of his prophecies fall to the ground. He never does, and he never will. All of his prophecies will come to pass. And so the king's servant had somewhat of the uh, the same logic that the lepers have. He, it was basically like this. Look, if we're about to die anyway, we might as well send a few guys out there to see if the story is true. Is there really food out there? At least let us go check. If this is a trap and they get killed by going out to check, uh, we're about to die anyway. But if it's not a trap and if there's really food out there, then we'll all get to eat. <laughs> so I think the Lord put this advice in his servants to motivate, to move the king to say, okay, go check it out. God's not going to let a prophecy fall to the ground. So they asked for five horses to go check, but the king only let them take Four, because they took two chariots. There's two horses to a chariot. Okay. This king, he was such an untrusting tightwad. They asked for five, they got four. Okay, go check it out. He was so spiritually drunk on his God-hating Baal worship that he didn't even have the vision to see that the Lord's hand was in what was taking place. He didn't see the Lord in it at all. That's what will happen to you when you worship false gods. Second Kings 7.15, and they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king, okay, Ben-Hadad's army, they were so scared at the mere sound of God's mighty army that they took off so fast, they left a long trail of clothing and weapons and all kinds of stuff that fell off along the road. Can you imagine? the nightmare sound of terror that chased them to make them run so hard that they lost all this stuff. I bet this would make a really terrifying movie scene if somebody was to shoot it. God's army is infinitely superior to that of any military force on earth. Second Kings 7.16 Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. See, it just happened exactly the way the Lord said it would, just exactly how Elisha prophesied. So what sounded absolutely impossible just 24 hours before was suddenly happening. It was now a reality. It was going down because this surge of supplies came from Israel's enemy they abandoned it at the sound of God's holy army, and now this supply was able to meet the needs of the people, which also lowered the crazy high food prices down to where some of it could actually be sold at a reasonable rate, which would help generate economic trade. Bottom line, the Lord supplied his people's needs in a time when they said it couldn't happen, and everything that the Lord had said had come to pass exactly the way that Elisha said it would, exactly how it was foretold. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.